Welcome to season four of And the Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy And The Writer Is, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. Oh, and one more thing. Just wanted to thank all of you who made it to the South by Southwest events and the Wrong Man performance in Austin. To give you an update on the Wrong Man, my album, we did a full-length animated film that got accepted to Tribeca Film Festival and is premiering on April 27th. If you want tickets, there is a link on my bio at Ross Golan. Uh, go check it out. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Built for musicians, by musicians. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a professional website and EPK for your music. Whether you're looking to book more gigs or need an affordable solution to manage your direct-to-fan sales and mailing list, you can use Banzoogle's simple tools to design a website and store that both you and your fans will love. Go to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. There's something about today's guest who is a number one country artist, touring road warrior, and songwriter advocate who has forged a roadmap to not only stay relevant musically as an artist, but knows how to conduct business in a progressively generous manner. After making a pit stop in Hawaii for a few years, which we'll learn about shortly, this guy dove headfirst into Nashville's music scene, working and writing with Jewel, Jake Owen, Thompson Square, and more. He's already released three full-length albums and has attracted a massively dedicated worldwide fan base. And if you can manage to get tickets before it sells out, his live show will leave you speechless. From Tifton, Georgia, this guy is my father-in-law. Kip's favorite artist in the world and the writer is Kip Moore. Man, you need to like I, I don't know what happened with us starting the conversation earlier, but you you should be like a ringside, like Michael Buffer kind of yeah. guy. You know what I mean? Like get ready for this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um for real, 
I mean, both my my dad and my father in law are are major fans because my you know for mm-hmm. two different reasons. But my father in law was like a couple years ago. He's like, "Do you know? Do you know Kip Morris?" Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know you, but yeah. you know, I'm you know go to Nashville. I'm in the country, but he's like like just loves you and this was like a really cool experience when I got to say guess who I'm going to have on that's cool and he goes oh can I can I ask something yeah <laughs> so I'm going to start with what he sent me he goes and I thought this was really sweet uh, I said well yeah sure send me something because he said I choose to like songs sung by people I think I would like if I knew them and the things they stand for I tend to gravitate to people that pay their dues Develop their own roadmap to success. A bit of blue collar mentality. This guy has certainly paid his dues and found his own way. So, drum roll, my question What were the moments of success that gave you your motivation to stay the course? Wow, first off, uh, you know, um, that's some insightful stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, God, there's, there's so many things for me. Uh, I will say this. I can remember coming off the Up All Night record, which was such a massive commercially successful record. Um, Now, the actual fans that really, you know, for the people that bought that record and dove into that record, um, songs like Crazy One More Time, uh, Everything But You, those songs were the the backbone of that record. The actual fan base, that was their favorites, Um, even over the hit songs that became hits. And a couple of the hits, when you listen to the record, were almost like a departure from what the record really was. Um, so with that being said, um, but there was such a commercial wave that happened, the floodgates were open, and then when you're a part of a big machine like of Universal Records, all of a sudden all this pressure is mounted after that. Um, so, you know, and I made the record that I wanted to make when I made Up All Night. Um, but, I, you know, all I had up until that point was I was writing those songs between, you know, 25 to 28, 29 years old. And all I really had was nostalgic experiences to draw on because I really hadn't been out traveling a ton yet, you know? So after the success of that record, my life takes off, everything explodes and I'm seeing the world and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, so, you know, me as an artist, I want to challenge myself completely different the next time around. And now I've got a lot of different things to say. I'm never going to be that guy that's going to go in and make the same damn record twice. And I hate it when I get a body of work and I know exactly what guitar tones are going to sound like. I know what they're going to sing about. I know what they're going to do. So when making the second record, um, it got completely shelved. I made a whole record that no one's ever heard um, because it was too left to center is what I was told. And then I made Wild Ones, which was probably even more aggressive than the other one that I made. And it was just kind of like I didn't have a lot of excitement, I felt like at the time, from my team because they were scared of what they were hearing um, because it wasn't anything like the first one. And I think that when something works that big, everybody wants to put you in that box and make you do that thing. And then they're asking for, where's another something about a truck or whatever on this record? I'm like, well, I've already written that damn song. It's over, you know? So That doesn't um, change if, if you're a songwriter or an artist, or yeah. both. Like no matter what, they're always going to want your hit. 10 yeah. Times, so yeah. I think I think for me to answer your dad's question, um, I went through an extremely dark phase in my life, like really, really dark. Um, in the making of the Wild Ones record and going on tour with that record at first, because all of a sudden I felt like 
nobody was really behind me. Um, but once I saw what actually happened around that record and the cult-like fan base that brewed from that record and the energy in these from rooms, wild ones from wild yeah. ones that didn't even that didn't even produce one single commercial hit but we would play that record from top to bottom at a show and every album cut was so deafening like it had been a number one for week for weeks and i can say that in the first month of that tour um even though i was still in a really dark place all of a sudden that was the turning point for me where it was like I can I can do this thing my way, and I, I know what my fan base is, I know what my audience is, and I know what I am as a writer. And it, it gave me that freedom, especially when I went to go make some slow heart. I was like, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I'm gonna make what I want to make because I know now how to you know like what's happening. I know who the fans are, what they are. Um, so now even like making this next one, um, there's a couple things I might have turned in that were just that was kind of like this is this is amazing music, but I don't know if we can make these singles. And I'm like. I don't care. I don't really care. I'm <laughs> yeah, gonna go, exactly. I'm going to go do what I do now. And it's the fans have given me that freedom to really ch- stick to that. Yeah, that's a good fan base. Let's start a little bit from the beginning. So you're born in kind of rural Georgia. Yeah, like south, like right above the Florida line. Um, how How do you... <laughs> learn anything about music? Did your parents do music? My So my mom was a piano teacher. Oh, uh, there you She go. taught piano lessons in the house, which I kick myself every day for not taking advantage of that. Your mom's a piano teacher. Yeah, like I thought it wasn't cool. You know, I was a kid and I just wanted to throw a football or whatever. So it was like, she played organ in the church in the small Southern Baptist church for a while. And um, my dad though, I I really, you know, my mom was always playing Willie Nelson, Redheaded Stranger. We'd go on these trips to, to Mississippi to see my family. And that record was a big influence. And I was a young kid, so I couldn't really grasp what Willie was singing about, but I always loved his melodies and the melodic structure of the songs. Um, but my dad was was really big into the writers that really shaped me. He was huge in the Seeger and Bob Dylan yeah. and Jackson Brown and Bruce Springsteen and Cougar Millencamp and the Little River Band and Credence and all these bands and a lot of Motown, a lot of Sam Cooke. Um, so he was, we were always going fishing and he'd play all these records. And I can just remember that I was always latched onto melody and lyric. I was always, and even though I was 10 and couldn't wrap my head around against the wind and really what Bob Seger was singing about until I had lived some life, um, I just was always fascinated with lyrics. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think my dad was was probably the biggest shaper in that as far as the kind of music that I started writing and started wanting to do. How old were you when you first started writing? About 14 or 15. Did you start playing those songs in front of people? I didn't start playing guitar until I was 18, so I would write out full songs yeah. just lyrically. And I'd, and I'd have the melodies and stuff in my head, but, you know, like I had... What's the first song? Oh, man. Um, I had a song called... Uh, Called uh, "Roll On Down the River." That was a, that was a uh, you know that was probably the first thing that I wrote. Um, At fourteen? No, I like lyrically. I, I wrote a lot of it, sure. and then at like eighteen, I started putting. Some but even music, eighteen, you know, like that's a pretty sophisticated you know. concept. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it, but yeah. I, I've I've always been the thinker. I've yeah. always been that kid, a really introspective sure. kid, and like I've always tried to, you know, I've always felt everything deeply, whether it's big or small. Like, and I, and at times, like it's kind of a double-edged sword for me. Like it can put me in these funks, you know, where other people can just slide by and glide by something and not notice anything. Where, you know, even somebody, you know, 
that I just see homeless one day might wreck me for a whole day. And then I'll think about all these things. Okay, how am I going to fix it? How am I going to do this and that? You know, where, yep. you know, so I've always been that kid and I always knew that writing was in me and it was just a matter of honing that craft. When you were 18, were you, is that when you started performing in front of people? Uh, not till I was 19 or 20. I started okay. doing the bar. Did you go to bar school? Yeah, I doing? went to school. I Where'd went to school go? to play basketball up in Birmingham. What um, was your position? I was a point guard. Nice. Yeah, so um, are you still good? Are you good? You I can play? still hoop, man. Ah, I nice. can still go. Yeah, <laughs> I can cool. still go. Yeah. If you started talking trash right now, we'd go right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't I, ever play <laughs> basketball. <laughs> no, but I do. I still love the game. I still play some. Um, but yeah, down in down in Valley, I jump Georgia. as Jewish as I yeah. look. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. But okay, yeah, I mean, it. I was doing the bar band scene for probably two years <laughs> yeah. from 20 to 22 down in South Georgia. Sure. Did, I mean, there's there's something cool about, you know, I feel like when I first got my my first record deal, I was kind of writing songs that I knew my friends would like. Do you know what I mean? Not, I, I, on some level, like, I, I didn't understand the idea of writing it all for an audience, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I no, wanted to write 100%. the songs that, that my friends would be like, yeah, play that, play that, play that. Not always the songs that I'm like, this is either something that means something to me or something that mm-hmm. everyone could sing, you know? Mm-hmm. But what kind of music were you performing? Because this is before, you know, you move it in Nashville and all that. You're not thinking this is a career, I assume, right? Yeah, no, I, I really didn't. Um, I just I just loved to play and I wanted to sing and I wanted to do, you know, but like, you know, you, you're forced to do cover band music down of South Georgia. I mean, those bars, like it's, you you have to do cover band music. Were you covering Seeger? And, yeah, I was covering uh, all that stuff. Camp and that I kind covered of stuff, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Travis Tritt, Willie yeah. Nelson, like yeah. I was doing all those things. Um, Credence. Um, have you ever met, I mean, I'm sure you've met a lot of these people, but have you met Willie Nelson? You know, I, I did a show with him one time. Um, I never met him. Um, I, didn't, I didn't want to bug him, but no, I, I've never met Willie, but I think he's, and I've always kind of been one of those people where you know, even Bruce might be my favorite lyrically. Um, I don't need to meet Bruce. You know, it's like one of those things where, you know, everybody's all the time like, you know, I've even got one of my agents, you know, that's like, you know, we can, you know, I'm just like, I'm I'm good, man. I'm, I had his music and that, that, that did enough for me. So, uh, yeah. I had my, my like claim to fame in my head for a long time was that uh, when I released an album called Reagan Baby. You and I are, are within a week apart from okay. birth. Like we were okay. born the same week. Okay. And I had an album called Reagan Baby, and it was all like political hip hop kind okay. of thing. Okay. And there's one song on it that's a co-write, and it was that we used uh, "Blinded by the Light" in as a as like a yeah. interpolation on one of the songs, and and Bruce liked it. So there's like a Springsteen Golan track somewhere in the that's planet, cool. and I just kind of <laughs> think that I've never met him. I just yeah. know that it went to his attorney and his manager, and they were like. Yeah. You know, we'll cl- cool. we'll clear this, and I just yeah, kind of think cool. that's cool. That somewhere in my catalog <laughs> is a Golden Springsteen track. <laughs> I feel like if I that's the thing is, you know, if that's what my tombstone says, like had a song that said Golden Springsteen, there you go. everyone be like, oh, yeah, guy lived a the life. Guy did like, he did it. He did yeah. it. Um, I mean, these guys are such legends. But when did you move to Nashville? Well, you didn't move straight to Nashville. No, nah, yeah, this, I, went right? to, I went to Hawaii after school. Um, Why? I, 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 what's that? Why? Um, because of Johnny Utah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to be Swayze. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be Bodhisattva. <laughs> so man. good. I, 
<laughs> so yeah, I wanted. I, I, I always, ever since I'd seen that movie, and I always wanted to surf. And then I so saw this that is movie. real. I'm dead ass serious. Yeah, I, mean, I wanted to be Bodie. Yeah. Um, were you disappointed with the remake? Oh, or were you like, you know what? That's sure. fine. It's good to like. No, it do was it. just very typical of everything that that encompasses what today's society is. Like that movie was the epitome of let's just throw a million action scenes in. Let's don't develop any of the characters. Let's just go full throttle from the get-go. Yeah. It was just ridiculous to yeah. me. Whereas at least with the first one, they developed yeah. the characters and you had some kind of connection to them. So, um, I mean, so you I, see Point Break and you're like, you know what? I'm moving to uh, I'm moving to Hawaii. I'm going to be Patrick Swayze. You yeah. want? I assume you wanted to be the bank robber and not yeah. the. Uh, you you know? know, it was it was more. I just like it wasn't about like I, I kind of kid around like about the whole Bodie's Zappa thing. But like when I I always wanted to surf and then I saw that movie and it was just like it just made me really want to learn. Like I yeah. just it was something I've done every sport there is and it was like I've never done this and it looks amazing. And did your friends and family think you were crazy? Oh yeah. They thought I was crazy with yeah. everything I've done pretty yeah. much. But they thought I was crazy when I moved to Nashville. Because sure. uh, I could I, you know, I was half ass guitar player when I moved to Nashville. Probably makes a really good songwriter though. Yeah. <laughs> you, know. you know, I just but I work I work I work my ass off yeah. with both. You know, yeah. so now I can really hold my own. But it's like it, you know, when I first moved it was you know, I was decent. How long were you in Hawaii for? Um, I was there for about six months. Did you want to do music that was I, kind of at all Hawaii influenced or like no surfing? Idea what I wanted to do in my life, I was truly. Oh, I guess that's why you go to Hawaii. As, you could, <laughs> yeah, as lost right. as lost could be. Uh -huh. I knew I didn't want to do anything with this with school that I did. Like I just, I didn't what know did what you I wanted to do, and, and I didn't know that music was an option. Like nobody where I was from, like you know, people were playing cover band and stuff, and I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, I, I think if I heard one more drunk girl ask me to play Brown Eyed Girl, I was yeah. gonna dive head first off the stage. Yeah. Like I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, uh, and I would try to play my original music there. It just, it, you know, but but I just. But they don't want to hear it. They I just they don't want to hear it. No, it, they want to hear yeah. something they know. Like totally. it's just not. It's not a town for original music. Uh, but there's maybe one town on the planet that that craves original music yeah. even even in LA and in New York they want to have some cosign that says like no this is this person loves it or this person loves it Nashville is something where i think people want to be to discover yeah, songs for you sure. know? and i don't think there's i, I don't think there's it's another city the on place. the planet that that yeah. that craves like the the unknown writer and the unknown song yeah. i mean that's, that's what I makes that place special there's a lot special. of validity to that you know but who yeah. says in Hawaii says, you know, you should move to Nashville. There was actually a guy at a party one night that was like, I was playing just a little bit, just kind of sitting around picking and playing some stuff I'd written. And and uh, there was actually a guy that was like, man, you know, your your songs are solid. You know, I had a friend that moved to Nashville and made as a songwriter. You should look into that. And I was just like, what do you, what do you, so I can go to Nashville and be a songwriter? You know, it was just kind of like a thing that I didn't really know much about. So I literally was just like, all right. Hell, I'll go for that because I want to do music. So um, at first, it was just more of kind of like, yeah, that sounds like something I would enjoy doing, like just writing songs for a living. So, But it wasn't until I, until I got to Nashville. And to be honest, it was like, it was that thing at first where it was, okay, I'm actually trying to do something with my life now. And it was a scary thing. And then you look around at all the talent, and you go these songwriter rounds, you're like, holy, you know, my, my, my stuff's not up to par yet. It's good, but it ain't here. You know, it ain't where... Tony Lane's playing these songs right now. Um, 
So it actually became for me like I did, I worked these odd jobs that I hated and it was like, it was when I got there that it was like, where I think most people, they feel that fear. They're like, okay, I might need to hang this up or whatever. For me, it made me dig in a lot harder. And it was like, I don't want to do anything else in my life. I've got to figure out a way to make this happen. And I became obsessed and I was a maniac. And all I did was study the craft and I listen to all the records I love till two and three in the morning. I get up at seven, I go back to work and I come back home and I lived in this dump and I couldn't afford my heat and I'd sit there and I'd watch my breath at night in single digit weather laying in my bed but I'd listen to these records and I'd write out all the lyrics to Bob Dylan songs and and I would just study and then I'd try to hone my craft and make it better and better. What were the odd jobs you did? Oh man, I've, I've done, I mean, I, I've I, jobs across the board. I laid sod, I did, uh, I parked golf carts at a, at, a, at a country club. I sold sprint phones. I was a bartender. Um, I worked at a, like a kid's summer camp. I mean, I, I, did, I did all kinds yeah, of things, man. I, I waited tables like, you know, I, I did all the ins and outs, but I worked retail. Um, you started, you know, you were writing with other artists before you really well, broke got, as an artist yourself. Yeah, I got signed as a writer by Brett James who discovered me as a writer. And and then I wrote for his company for like three and a half years and I started getting some cuts on other people. Never any singles, but I started getting cuts. Um, and then the label started really digging my voice on the demos and I was already playing a ton of shows around town and then people started coming out and it kind of led one thing to yeah. another. And CAA put me on the road for a year or two before I even got a record deal. So. I started crazy. Building. Yeah, that that's was, kind of a that lot of that's really a lot cool. of support. From yeah, man, I was in my Jeep touring for a whole year by myself with Adam with Adam Browder, and then I and then I went from that to a little twelve passenger van with 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 a band and and um, yeah, man. We, How did Brett hear you? Uh, Brett heard me. A guy named Joe Fisher heard me at a songwriters round and called Brett. And Joe Fisher was A and R for MCA. Yeah, and then Brett. Asked me to come to his studio and I played the, for him live. The barn? No, this, the, was, this was at his uh, the corn man house, the yeah, old building. Yeah. And um, then I played for him live and he right there was like, whatever we got to do, let's do this. So, so sick. And Brett, I got to say, was the main, it's a town, man, that's so like, and I, I think this is, it's getting this way with everything, it seems, even with the actors and actresses. I feel so bad for, it's becoming such a world of, how many Instagram followers do you have? And those people are, you know, it's like it, everything has to be laid out for these people now. Like it's like you don't develop talent. Do you think or that's different than when, when they wanted you to friend people on MySpace? Didn't you have to deal with that shit then? I feel like it was really, all, I feel I like never it was had always. Any, I never had yeah. any kind of social media. So it was like, um, for, you know, for me, it was just Brett digging in. From day one, and yeah. being like, you've got something. You have a unique way of saying things. Your melodies are unique. The way you attack things, we just got to fine tune all this. And he let me record all these songs. Let me fall on my face. Let me figure out what worked, what didn't work. We sat in the room. We break down all my songs. And he's he's a brilliant songwriter. I mean, he really he's, is. Yeah. When you dig into his catalog, that's not the hits. He's got some amazing stuff. Um, so I mean, that was a um, that was a big a big a big boost for me because it really gave me the freedom to grow. And I don't feel like a lot of people get that from their team. Did you care about writing for yourself versus other people at that I point? I only wanted to write for myself. I never wanted to write for other people. Like really? You'd get the tip sheet and it'd be like so-and-so's looking. I'd be like, fuck this. I don't feel like doing this. Yeah. You know, you, so. So when you, because, 
mean, you had you started you were writing with a lot of kind of other artists. You were yeah. at least you were in that circuit. Yeah. Were there times where they had deals and you wanted the songs for yourself, or was it not like? I mean, that? there was a few songs that that some big artists that that they yeah. wanted of mine and were like, if you give it to us, we'll make it the first single. You know, this and that. I tried to hold on to a lot of them. Sure. Um, you know, so um. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I, I always struck out to sing and, and play my own music. Like, you know, I, I did the songwriter's deal because I wanted to be able to write every day. So it was like, you know, if that's what it took, you know, to write and people get my songs and that's that's all good. Yeah, but it helps I, your craft anyway yeah, as an artist. But so, I, right? I always was like, I want to write, you know, for me. Did you ever want to do music like, you know, to emulate Bruce Springsteen or emulate. You know, I think that. I think that. Or were you, you know, naturally it, it, like, nah, this is me? Because I mean, you have a sound, but it sounds like you yeah. know, it doesn't think, sound I, like them. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Uh, you know, when you listen to Bruce, you can tell he was influenced by Dylan. It's it's heavy, especially in those early records. Like it's super heavy. I think that all of us are influenced by others. You know, the Stones were influenced so much by the blues and the Motown era. You know, you can you can feel it. So. I think that, you know, and, and also there used to be such a wide open canvas, you know, it, it, with, with music, with movies, with everything. So when you're an artist in the 50s and 60s, well, hell, TV and radio hadn't been around that long. So there's just an open canvas that's never been tapped. So nowadays it's so much more difficult to come up with something fresh and original because everything's been done almost. So, sure. you know, I think that any artist, you're going to hear influences, but it's all about, you know, when I write, I just think that those influences naturally bleed through. Like it's not something I'm ever trying to do. You're just going to hear it at times, you know? When did you get your record deal? How long were you in Nashville? I mean, I know the year. I moved but there I mean, in 2000 and around 2003 or four, um, and I got a record deal in 2009. I mean, so then you, you know, you even had, you had a minute between getting signed to having, you know, the mm-hmm. hits, the oh, first, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. What's what happens once you get a record deal and you have those three years, really, two and a half years, you know, from getting the record deal to, you know, what was happening in your life? Going, you know, I well, feel I like mean, when my, people get a record deal, once I got they, a record deal, it was, it was, you know, I, I immediately, it was like I signed that record deal. Uh-huh. I made a record the next week. I already had all the songs. They already, oh wow, they already loved all the music. So it was like yeah. they put me in the studio right away. Cool. And it, I'll tell you what, man, it was it was pretty amazing how I turn in this batch of music. And I can say this: what's been amazing and and great about MCA, besides that record getting shelved, I've really had the freedom to do whatever in the hell I wanted to do. Like I didn't have people over my shoulder being like, nah. You know, it was like. We love what you do, and we love how you write. Go make a record. It was just that one record that got shelved. That was like they were just like we we can't do anything with this commercially. It's too just too left to center. So that was crushing as an as artistically. Um, but do you I mean, still have that record? I still got it. I mean, is there any scenario where you release yes. it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, it, it, my assumption is that also left of center and. 2013 isn't as left as center now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like music changes, right? My thing was I would go and retract the songs. Now, like I'm just thinking different musically. So, and you start to move on from things, you know. So, man, that must have been so complicated. It was tough. It was tough, man. Because I really believed in that record. Yeah, and I still believe in that record. I still believe in the songs. Um, You know, so 
Yeah, I mean, there might there might come a time where I retrack. Um, you know, there's, there's you were saying it's kind of a obvious, and I I don't know how you wouldn't have just, a dark period very, after yeah. finishing an album and no and them not releasing it. Yeah, I I certainly know what that's like as a writer, and I know what it's like to release music in a vacuum. Yeah, but to finish an album and have it shelved is really confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you pull yourself out of that to write new music? Um, you know, I, like I said, I think the <clears throat> the kicker was, you know, it was it was it was a tough period that whole year touring around Wild Ones, just as far as not getting anything to stick, um, as far as hit records. Um, but I was seeing the proof in the pudding with the fans. But it was it was when I got out of my own way and I quit worrying about it because don't let any artist fool you. It's Everybody wants to have hit records. Hit records opens up the door for people that have never heard your stuff. And then it's up to, to you once they get in the door, what do you really have? What can you really bring to keep an audience? So Petty, Haggard, Willie, they all wanted hit records. Haggard always said, I'm dreaming of one last hit record. Like everybody wants to have hit records, but you want to have hit records with songs that you believed in and you knew you weren't selling out on, but you want to have hit records and you want people you want to be able to move people and, and, and have people love your music and come to the shows. Um, so that was tough not having hit records off of that, off of, off of the wild ones record. But when I saw that the fan base was doubling and tripling in size and where usually it's more of a nosedive when that's happening, when you don't have anything going on commercially, it was taken off in a whole different, and it was more rabid than it's ever been. It was like the up all night record. People sang and people shouted the wild ones record. It was a different animal. Um, so I think it was that, that really pulled me out of that whole period where it was like, you, you're doing this thing the right way. Just stick with it. Do you have a personal life? Not a lot. Wow. Not a lot, man. And you know, and I, I gotta be honest, like, it's like, <clears throat> I, I get in trouble cause I, I don't sugarcoat shit and I say what I think and I feel and a lot of times it gets me in trouble with certain things and I don't give the politically correct answers and it's like but I've been thinking a lot about that like it's like I'm I've come to realize so many things about myself over the last few years and I've you know where I I used to could you go to a job and even if you hated it I could just go in clock in I'm kind of mindless I do the job I go home and you're not affected mentally in different ways this one as beautiful as this life is and amazing to get to play your own music and do these things, it's just, it's such wear and tear when you're the kind of person I am. Um, I care so deeply about things and I, and I care so much about my work and I just get, I'm, I'm starting to realize that I'm just affected in such a deep manner on so many, on so many levels and it's been so taxing on my mind, my soul, my spirit, all these things and I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to find the balance that I need in that. So, um, it is one of those things where I don't know how long I'll do this uh, because, um, and I don't mean that in any kind of weird way. It's just that I'm starting to realize that there are, I don't want to go through my life because I'm so obsessed with music and miss out on on other balance things that I know that I want in my life. I know I want other pieces of my life and I want to do other things. But as much as I love this, it might always have a strong arm on me if I, in, unless I just let it go. So... And you know, I don't know what all that means. I'm just coming to that conclusion in my head where um, I, I just might be one of those people that, that's never able to really juggle a personal life and this, so I might have to walk away from one. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. 
From garage bands to Grammy winners, Banzoogle powers the websites for thousands of musicians around the world. Their simple step-by-step system will get you online in minutes. Choose from dozens of mobile-friendly templates, customize your design and content in just a few clicks. Built for musicians by musicians, Banzoogle has all the features you need for your website and EPK already built in, including a merchant download store to sell music and merch commission-free right on your website. Use your tour calendar to promote your shows and sell tickets commission-free. Mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send professional newsletters. Integrations to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. And live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Plans start at just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. Go to bandzoogle.com to start your 30-day free trial and be sure to use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com. Use the promo code ATWI to build your website today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. What would you want to do? Would you want to go back to Georgia or stay in Nashville? No, man. I just, you know, I, I think, but it's 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 all the things. It's like I've never been, I've never like been looking to settle down. Never been looking to be with somebody. I've always been so much on my own, and I'm always been cool with that. But I do know that I want to do that one day. I'd like to have a kid, and I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to go that route. Um, but I know how much of a maniac I am with this, so I never allow anything to come in, you know. So, and then two. Um, you know, I, I I would like to do a lot of mission work all over the world, man. I just want to do something that's completely, uh, where I'm not even, you know, where it's something so much bigger than me where I, you know, I would like to spend a whole entire year doing that, man. And it's like, and when I say, you know, I just want to go, you know, to these different places and do things, build houses, build water systems, do whatever, man. I just, uh, you know. I just feel like I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things in my mind and my heart that I want. And I've just, I'm always so obsessed with music that it's going to be a tough thing for me to juggle. Well, one, one of the things I read about you a year ago that, you know, I've, I've spent, I took off a, a bunch of months this year fighting for legislation for musicians. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing that, you know, I, I felt like 
now's sort of the time to push forward and do some things for my community that's afforded me this life and take care of my family. But when I saw, you know, the Billboard article about how you bonus out your songwriters from your tours, you know, I we were there's a there was a, a huge meeting today with PROs talking about some healthcare things that might change the future of music on healthcare. We've gotten legislation passed, we've gotten all, a lot of things moving in the right direction. But one thing that's difficult, I mean, as a from a personal place, you know, I I write I wrote Dangerous Woman for Ariana and it becomes the name of her album, her tour, her merchandise line with you know, with uh, Urban Outfitters, and now she's got Dangerous Women Diaries coming out, and it's like all based on a song that I wrote. And it's really interesting that when she tours, she she does what most artists do, which is she tours and she you know uses the songs as an asset. How did you start saying, you know what, I'm gonna start taking care of songwriters who work on my albums yeah. and bonus them out? And if you do that. Why isn't the whole industry doing that? You know what's crazy, man? And like I said, I get in trouble for just saying what I think. And I, I couldn't believe how quiet everybody was on it, especially the artists, man. Like it was like, it was like that was scary that I said that. You know, nobody printed, did, did runs on it. Nobody, nobody really talked about it besides that article, you know? And, uh, you know, for me, it's just, it's just like, that's just how my mind and my my spirit works. Like I don't, it was, it was something that was it had been on my mind for a while. I'm looking around, I'm seeing the writing community just suffer like crazy. They're all like, it's all this levying game trying to get in the room with an artist now. Like I would hate to be a, just a just a songwriter now because they're so screwed in so many ways. I'm I'm so blessed that I get to actually write and perform mine because. Now, it used to be like me and you, if we're songwriters, we get in a room and we write a song. If it's great, it's got a good chance that somebody picking it up. That shit's over, man. It's like if you're not in the room with artists, and even half of these freaking artists, and that's, this is just the truth. I'm just saying the truth right now. They can't write. They can't write. They don't know the craft of writing, but it's you know, their publishing company wants yeah, them in the room. Yeah, their team wants, wants it. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, everybody wants to get their hands it's in a the money. money. Grab, it's yeah. a money grab. So it's like, we got to put the artists in the room with the writers. Even the artists can't write a lick. They just sit in there and they get a third of the writing portion. And so, you, so you think it's, it's so the same in Nashville and here, huh? All the writers are trying to jock wow. the position to get in the room with these writers. And if they, if they, even if they're great, if they can't get in the room with the writers, there's no chance. And now it's... There's no money with album cuts anymore. So the only thing anybody's thinking in a room is single, single, single. And it's all put in this homogenized little box that they got to fit in. And they think that they can't be a single unless it's an up-tempo, fun, fluffy song about something that ain't nobody really even experiencing. It's wild, man. It's like it gets me fired up thinking about it. So for me, it's like if, we're, if we all started as, as artists... If if you're a successful artist like I am, and I'm making a decent living on the road, I can afford to take five or six writers that were on my record, throw them a couple thousand bucks, two or three thousand bucks, and if if say you're a writer on my record and you didn't get a single and you get two from me, and then you're also a writer on on Rihanna's record and she gives you two or three and then Tim McGraw gives you two or three. All of a sudden you look up and you got 10,000 extra dollars in your account. All of a sudden you're paying your mortgage for the year. So it's like then if if everybody's doing that, 
then the writers are going to go in the room able to breathe a little more, and they're going to be thinking about just writing a good song. They're not going to be thinking about how do I write the up-tempo 120 beats a minute, you know? Right, it's, it's kind of creating a living wage for, for our craft. Yes. And, and that's, you know, we were talking to certain labels about advancing certain, you know, they want the right to release a song first, they'll pay the producer for it, but they don't really pay the writers anything. I mean, they could, the label could probably front some of the money if they had, like, you know, and it's not even necessarily an equity point on the touring. It's just the idea of taking care of your writers altruistically. Like, that's so... I'm not going to let that article be the only time people talk about this, yeah. which is one of the reasons why, I mean, this is a Friday in the middle of the day, and uh, there is a reason why I made it a point to be here, and it had a lot to do with this, mm-hmm. because I spend a lot of time working for songwriters, and I don't see other artists stepping up all the time, and we know who's in the right position to do it. And so when, when world, if you can man. if you can do this then there's no reason why it shouldn't be something of industry standard or other artists shouldn't step up and say you know yeah. what I'm not just going to help pay for the instrumentalists you know but if if you're talking about all the merchandise all the other things mm-hmm. that you're fortunate enough to have uh, you know kudos to you for taking care of songwriters I I think that's just absolutely incredible it's hard to do this, man. Yeah, it's 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 truly baffling to me that the people that are creating the music for so many to get rich off of, and they don't have the decent ethics about them to understand that these people are responsible for all of us making money. We got to figure out a way to take care of them. Yeah, it's baffling to me, man. To me, it's just that's just. You know, you're like, what made you think of it? I'm like, it's just being a decent human, man. It's just yeah. like, just be a decent human. Like when you feel something, you act on it. You do it. You try to take care of people. Do you mostly write with the same guys? Yeah, man. I write with, you know, I, it's funny. I was on the plane with uh, a girl I hadn't seen in about 10 years who used to work at a publishing company. And she was like, what writers are you writing with now? And I was like, same, same ones. ones I did back then, <laughs> man. I see it all the time, man. Yeah. You get a few hits and you... You know, yeah. like I'm still writing with Weston Davis, who's still never had a big commercial hit song, and he's my main writer I write with. I think we're about to change that for him. I think he's going to have a lot on this new record I'm going to make. But Blair Daly, um, Troy Burgess, um, you know, the only new, really new writer that's kind of coming to my camp is Josh Miller and, and David Garcia, but it's still the same guys that I've been writing with forever. Sure. I like Blair a lot. Man, Blair's great. Yeah. Yeah, he's salt to the earth. Yeah. Shout out to a bunch of these people. I've I've, I've written with a lot yeah. of them, you know. <laughs> okay. So it's like when you're in yeah. in Nashville, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, you're you get fortunate to be in the room with some of these guys. I wrote one good course with Blair. I always think about it. I always pops Blair's in my head. I'm like, where is that baby. from? What Blair's such an '80s baby, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. But that's the thing. Those are. I mean, well, I mean, honestly, so are you and me on some level. And not to mention that you like, you know, Point Blank, which or or Point Break, yeah. which probably came out in what, like ninety four or something like that. I just I knew it. <laughs> I knew the movie because I mean I was a little kid, and it's so my funny brother, that we're talking about Point Break yeah, this much. Like, it makes this all of a sudden <laughs> just incredible. <laughs> my yeah. brother was obsessed with it, and he brought it home one day. And I mean, I was, I don't know, man. I was like, you know, like a 
probably a 12-year-old kid at the time, and he brought it home, and I was like, what is this? And then I watched it again. How old was your brother? He was about four or five years older than I was. Uh, do you have more than... I got do you two have... older brothers and three younger sisters. Whoa. Yeah. Are you guys all close? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Did they all live in Georgia? Everybody except my older brother, Brian. They're all down in South Georgia, though. Uh-huh. Did they all want to be musicians? Um, everybody was musically inclined in the whole family. Right. Um, my brother was a really good guitar player. Um, everybody can really sing on pitch and got good tone. And Mallory was a great piano player. Joanna was a good singer. Jennifer could play piano. Um, and my dad had a good voice. Um, I just was the only one that was obsessed with writing. Sure. Which I'm so glad I was obsessed with that because that's where it's at. You guys should do a family band. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like your family reunions are probably pretty funny like that. It's a good time, man. You know, nobody really plays music, though. It's like we all just... We all hang. This is gonna sound really weird. We're all obsessed with NBA basketball. So oh, wow. even my sister. So they'll be like all of us in a room watching NBA games over the holidays. I mean, you guys like, have had the Hawks for a while, so that's pretty cool. Or is that your team? Yeah, man. I ain't never anything to cheer for with the Hawks, man. But so that, who's who's your team? Or I, that I, was the Celtics. Team. I've always uh-huh. been like a very traditional. Like I've always been like a Celtics guy. So that's, yeah, that's so kinda, that's a good team though. That's so a, like, I'm, especially right this now, year. it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Dominique Wilkins didn't get you when oh, you were younger. No, he, no, I was a huge Hawks fan yeah. with Dominique Wilkins. I yeah, mean, the human highlight film. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, Yo, I they went, haven't since he's left. It's just been kind of. This is stupid to say on this, but I'm just gonna do it anyway. But uh, I went to high school with Phil Jackson's kids. Yeah. So he lived in my neighboring town, and they, um, you know, this is like 1982 when he started coaching the Bulls or something mm. like that. I think that's right. And no one's making serious money, so it's really kind of like a, a kind of middle middle class area, and um, and then the Bulls get big, and Michael Jordan blows up, and he's living in our in our hometown. But you know, again, he wasn't the best players in the NBA in in the eighties are not making millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, maybe at the very end, you're getting a, a couple guys that are getting a couple million he had bucks. A bad and it was him for a long time. Oh yeah. But then they built the Bulls practice facility in our hometown, and my dad's a residential architect, so he got to do Scottie Pippen's house. And my tenth birthday was at Scottie Pippen's house. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty that's rad. Kind of cool. That's like kind of it's so weird. Yeah. I just remember As a like ten year old kid of it. That was super. Oh cool. my god! And yeah. these guys are all like your, you know, they're kind of your neighbors. You'd yeah. see, you know, I, I went up to Dennis Rodman at at Best Buy. And who he was in like the CD aisle, and I was just like, "What, what kind of I music?" Bet you are came you? up, your head came up to his calf. Oh yeah. <laughs> Plus, it looked like a chubby Harry Potter, which yeah. is like, I'm sure it was, you know, this strange-looking kid yeah. is like, "What music are you listening to?" But he was, he was really nice. I don't know. Very strange. Side note. But you guys are super in the NBA, so that's cool. So you yeah. guys still like communicate about that? Yeah, man. We're always like on text chains with like the playoff starters. Have like, you ever done the Star Spangled Banner? I've been asked a lot. I never do it. Why? I got to be careful right now. It's not, it's, uh, I just, I don't know. I just, uh, it's just not, you know, I, everybody listening, I love my country. I'm just not trying to sing the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. It's the same thing, like, you know, that label every year is like, you going to do us, you going to make a Christmas record for us? I'm like, hell no, it's not happening. It's just, you know, and you know, even like when you think about the Star Spangled Banner, ever since Whitney Houston did it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. Like, there's it's, it's a <laughs> right. no win, right? It's a no win situation. Yeah. I could knock it out of the park, and it still ain't gonna be Whitney. Yeah, and it's like 
all can the only thing that can come from the Star Spangled Banner is bad because it's yeah. not like even if you kill it, nobody's gonna go, oh my gosh, I gotta go buy his records. That's just that's not how it works. Sure. And if but if you mess it up, you're a YouTube legend for ages because you messed it up. Yeah. And it's like you know, I just since Whitney did it, that's like the pinnacle. It's like I'll just let Whitney have that moment. What what's the what's the end game for you? Like what, what as a as a songwriter as an artist I mean I don't do that anymore. You know it's like I drove myself crazy enough for years trying to make all these goals and trying to I'm as passionate and more driven than I've ever been as far as to be a great artist. I don't I never think about fame, I never think about money and how do I make it do this and that. Like I only think about how do I it's like right now I'm so in the mode of how do I top slow heart? I think I got the songs now. And it's like, I'm only thinking about how do I get better at what I do? Right. I think I've written some songs that are going to really slay people on this next record. Um, so for me, it's just always been about how do I get better? But as far as the goals I used to make about, you know, I used to think about winning a Grammy or the CMA Entertainer of the Year or playing, you know, headlining a, a massive arena or soccer stadium or but I just try to, I try not to let my mind go to those places anymore. And it doesn't mean that I still don't want to do those things. But you've kind of done a lot of it. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean. You've you've gotten so many between the what the ACMs and the the you know the yeah. all the awards that you were nominated for. Yeah. It's like you you kind of have a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if one more of those things you know. ever makes anyone happy. No, you know, I, I think like it's it's nice, but I, I don't think that I've never won any of them. From that. Um, but you know, for me, no. But you got you the know, nominations, yeah. and like anybody, now that yeah. I've been in in the committee rooms and yeah. and kind of seen how these things work, yeah. when you're talking about thousands of artists and thousands of submissions, and when and you have a room of elitist fucks yelling at each other over what really is yeah. a hit song, um, and it's to actually get nominated in any of these things. Mm-hmm. When they say it's truly an honor, if you saw how these things happen, you'd really believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's one thing. It's one thing when people say it and they feel like they have to say it, yeah. or they say it because they think, "Well, you know, I had a top five record, so for sure I'm yeah. going to get, uh, you know, nominated for best mm-hmm. new artist." But no, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of submissions, and the twenty people that they discussed in the room, each was really good, yeah. and. People fought over why certain songs, you know, artists yeah. shouldn't be on there. And when you get nominated for any of those things, man, you are beyond fortunate to ever yeah. even, you know, ring that bell. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think for me, you know, like I, this past year, I've probably been more present in what's happening than I've ever been. Like, because I'm not thinking about all that ahead stuff. So, yeah. I just like to stay in that place, man. I'm one of the few that gets to wake up. And really do what they love to do and play music, and I get to play my music and make a living. So it's like, yeah, so sick. you know, it's like, man, that's. Uh, I try to just keep my mind on that and just yeah. being better at what I do, and whatever happens with that happens. But sure, yeah, I don't know what the end game is. I have no idea. Um, all right, we're gonna go to the next segment where I'm gonna just name five things. You can tell me what comes off the okay. top of your head. Let's start with Brett James. Brett James. Uh, Great bourbon uh, drinker. Yeah. <laughs> when I think about bread, Sorry, it's like that. Dead. It's like that scene in Jerry Maguire where Cuba Gooding was like, 
the Quan. You know, it's like <laughs> Brett, man. Um, yeah, That's Brett is. Uh, Brett was uh, one of the most pivotal encounters in my life. I was just with him another day. Um, I don't get to spend much time with him anymore, but but um, I just think about the way when stuff wasn't happening and people are like, you need to move on from that. He's not making you any money. It's like, you know, four years into it. And that guy, man, just stuck through thick and thin with me and was like, I know you got it. I know these songs are going to, it's going to happen, you know. So um, to have that kind of uh, gusto about you and, and stick with somebody when everybody's telling you otherwise, that's, um, this world is a, Feel with followers, man, and that guy ain't one of them, so that's why I dig him. Tifton, Georgia. Um, wow. Um, I think about pops. I think about my dad with uh, when I, when I think Tifton. Um, that's all I did. He passed back, you know, long time ago. Um, and uh, all my memories when I think Tifton are with him. What happened? He got brain cancer. Wow. Back in '09. Do you think you still sing to him now? Like, do you still feel like uh, you know? I mean, I've always been a spiritual guy. I've always had my faith. Um, I would like to believe that. I, I do believe that. I mean, I think he, you know, I never. You know, who knows what happens when you're gone? You know, who who you know, if, you know when when people get really arrogant about that, like this is what happens. I'm like, <laughs> how do, has anybody ever co- gone there and come back to tell about it? You know what <laughs> right. I mean? It's like. I have my faith and I believe, you know, um, but, uh, you know, I haven't had that moment where it's been like really evident to me, you know, which I'd like to have, but I haven't had that. You you gotta know that you'd be proud of the fact that you stand up for other people. Yeah. I mean, he was, that guy, man, he was, uh, I could talk about him. He was, he was the last of a dime breed, man. He was the most rare. He was so charismatic. He was mean as a snake, and then he was kind as anybody you could ever meet, man. He could be so gentle. He didn't take shit off of anybody. You walk out of a restaurant as a family, and he's in a fight in a parking lot. Like, he was just like, you didn't know what you were going to get with him. But he was always taking care of people. I mean, even when I was a little kid, he would, you know, and he was as blue-collar as it gets, six kids, and I don't think he ever made over 45 grand in a year. I mean, that was like the pinnacle of his makings, you know, to take care of six kids. So it's like, but he would cook these feasts at the house. He'd cook all this food and then he'd get me in the truck with him and we'd ride in to, you know, really rough parts of town and he'd deliver all these meals, man. It was just, he was just that dude, man. He was, uh, he was something. So cool. Um, your mom? Uh, salt to the earth. Uh, a, a true, um, yeah, she's, um, yeah, I, I, all my 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 the faith side of me, you know, I, I think I was born with that. Um, but she really helped guide me in that direction. Um, I fall off all the time, but um, yeah, I mean, she was uh, she was always the 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 ethics teacher of the house. This is how you do things. This is how you treat people. This is my dad was more of just you watched him. He didn't say much about it, but my mom was like, you know, she kept us in line for sure. Last would be Larry Bird. Man, uh, if my life was on the line for for one game, that's who I'm rolling the ball to. Go get me a W. And Mike's my favorite of all time, but if my life is on the line, I'm rolling the ball to Larry. I'm like, go get it for me. So sick. Yeah. We could probably figure out a way for you to meet Larry Bird. <laughs> I mean, that would you know, be like if you're not going to meet if you're not going to meet Willie Nelson, you might as well uh, meet Jeff Larry Hornacek. Bird. Gave me a ball signed by him. No way. Yeah. yeah. 
That's pretty sick. Yeah, it's cool. Jeff's yeah. great. He's he's awesome. How do you know? He's got so many great stories. Yeah, of course. So How many do you great know that? Stories. Wait, you just drop like a legend. Like, <laughs> you, you know, know, this legend gave me a sign ball by another legend. I, 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 he told me one time a, a story about Larry Bird. He said that in his rookie season, I think he's with the Suns, and he said that the Celtics were down by two with five seconds left. And he said Larry had been killing them all game. He had 50-something points. And he said he walked over to the bench, to the Suns bench. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come off the right wing. I'm going to catch the ball at the top of the key. And so-and-so, whatever his name was, is going to be guarding me. And I'm going to stick one right in his face from about two feet behind the three-point line. And Jeff said, I'll be damned if he didn't do exactly what he said. And when that ball left his hand, all he did was stare at the bench and walk off. Like... (laughs) Yeah. You gotta love it. Yeah, Don't man. Don't you wish you could perform like that too? I guess you yeah. can. You gotta like walk out there like, this is yeah. what you're gonna see right now. Yeah. I'm gonna just show you guys how yeah, this show really yeah. happens. Walk off. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Told you this is gonna I do blow your drop mind. I do want to mic one day, but you know, uh, I, I, yeah. There, there goes the humility, but yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. exactly. Um, well, thanks for doing this, you man. You bet, man. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said it earlier, but... Uh, we interview a lot of people. A lot of people come and ask to be interviewed, and we have all these kind of, you know, it's not really our main job. Our main job is writing songs and performing and do what, you know, other mm-hmm. artists and musicians do. But it's a pleasure to get to shine a light on what you're doing, not just as an artist, but, you know, to, to give back to the community without the community fully realizing what you're doing yet. I hope that that this interview and and some of the things that we can do can help show that what you know as mm-hmm. the highest honor a a Jew can bestow upon a non-Jew is that you know it's a real mensch thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll take it. You know, you should be really proud of yourself, and I I know you you know I I I'm I'm proud of you, and I, I don't even know well, you. So I appreciate that. now I do. Yeah, now we're friends forever. Yes, we are. All right, let's go surfing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 